Alright. 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 Um Brandon. Yeah. Um Um Yeah. Um how are you? (laughs) (laughs) But like how are you really though, you know? We don't see you anymore. What are you doing? What have you been doing? Well, I mean, I didn't go on a trip to Joshua Tree. That's not what I'm asking. What have you been doing? I've been, I've been watching. What are you doing your free time in La Palma these days? Well, you know, you see, um, I have a girlfriend, which like the opportunities are, we go out on dates. So we've been going to a lot of museums lately. We went to the Broad, the Broad. broad. I always call it the broad. Yeah, um, why? Uh, <laughs> These fucking broads. Uh, I went to the we fucking went to an, broad. <laughs> we went to an Angels game. They lost. It was very close, but it was very fun. Um, we go to the movies a lot. And yeah, I mean, that's about it. I work a lot. Five days a week, 40 hours a week, which is nice. What do you, do, what do, you do for Brandon time? You know, but it's just uh, I you. Don't, I don't really get Brandon time anymore. Hmm. Which is okay. You should... Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to get some this week, and, you know, that's going to be good for me to... What do you, you plan know, on doing during your Brandon time? You going to take yourself uh, on some dates? Hmm? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll... Not me. <laughs> that's why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> been watching a lot of Ted Lasso lately. All right. Yeah. <laughs> New season of shit, I heard. It's not, but it's just people are finding it, and they're like, oh. My, my parents hate it. They're like, this new season fell off. I, I do think it's the, weak, it's the weakest season for sure, but I don't think it sucks. I just think they don't know where to go with a few of the characters because their arcs have already concluded. So you're stuck with like two or three characters who have unresolved arcs, and then the rest are kind of just there. Okay. Cool. So it's tough. It's tough. We'll see how it sticks the landing. But you know, I mean, I maybe I'll be watching more movies. I I did tell you guys that I wanted to rewatch my top one hundred in reverse order to see if they really are my top one hundred movies. I think I'm gonna start doing that soon, since I just got to four thousand. And yeah, I think cool. that's pretty exciting. But also maybe I'll plan a coaster trip. I'm planning something to Northern California later this year. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. So that might involve Joe. So who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Only he, only Joe knows, I guess. Anyways, I just want to check in with you. You know, Chris and I, we don't see you much anymore. So. Is it? (laughs) Is it? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Welcome back to Stacked Episode 112, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're coming at so you stupid. live coming at you live on a sunday morning it's 10 a.m when your this episode drops not we're we're recording it right now um and today we're gonna be talking about a very a very special subject that we love we can't get enough of it it's war <laughs> nuclear war <laughs> we love war we love when thousands and millions of people die on the battlefield and bloodshed. We love killing. We love war. 
America. America. I love war! <laughs> you think there's a guy out there who just loves war? Yes. Like the concept of it? And he just yeah. always wants war? What we it's need is sure. another war! <laughs> what we need is another war! <laughs> now, I hate war. Um, no, war sucks. As a sane human being, I hate war. Um, Pro war. Believe but you not. know, but you know, it's uh, it's Memorial Day weekend when this comes out. Um, so what better to honor the troops than to talk about the bloody battles that they fell in? So, <laughs> uh, Ethan, yes. When I texted Evelyn that we were doing war movies, she was like, she thought I meant like, oh, and I was like, I love war movies. She's like, she thought I was saying I love war, and then she sent me a text that said pro war thumbs down and then a salute an american flag and i said no i i'm, I'm pro-war movie i'm not pro-war pro-war movie but that, <laughs> does that make you pro-war though uh no you can make unless up they're anti-war movies which well, I, I don't know what do you think look, about star wars huh not a war movie it's not a war movie if, if, if anyone a... mentions Star Wars on this episode, I'm going to fucking kick you in the head. All right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spit in my hand and slap you on the back of the head so hard. No. I, I don't want to hear about that stuff. Um, well, that's but yeah, good. we're, <laughs> we're going to be talking about war movies. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, I love war. <laughs> No. Stop it. Um, Stop it. <laughs> okay, no. I want to talk Stop about... Stop endorsing it, you fuck. I want to talk about how great war is. No, okay, I'm done. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, I feel like there's three archetypes to war movies. Um, movies leading into a war, movies during a war, and movies after a war. So that's how I sort of broke down my films. Um, mm. And I th- I'm, I'm going to try my best to talk only about anti-war movies because I do not like war. Um, but, you know, it's it's been said time and time again that it is damn near impossible to make a movie that plays, takes place during a war that is anti-war because showing the act of war itself is like, um, what is it, making a spectacle out of it? It's like fetishizing. Yeah, yeah it's and it's, yeah, it glorifies it in its own kind of way. So I think, I think I'm just going to lay that out as a disclaimer for some of my picks, you know. There will be um, scenes in these movies that do show off war in a spectacular way, but I feel like its core messages still pertain to being anti-war, you know, um, which I think are the best kind of war movies. I don't think the war movies that are like war is good are the best I just war like, movies. I like war movies that show the war as it is, but not a documentary. But even showing it as it is is still glorifying it, you know? All right. I'm going to turn my okay. camera away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. He just turns around. Brandon yeah. just turned around. Brandon just turned around. Uh, but what about you, Chris? You know, uh, you love yeah. war more, maybe more than me. So yeah, so like war, right? Big Get war. a load of that. Um, yeah. For me, like I, the way that I kind of did it was um, I kind of divided it similarly to you, Ethan. But I, I instead of doing pre-war, during war, and post-war, I did mine as first. This first section is my collection of movies that show the repercussions of war uh, and, like, the suffering of people and kind of, like, you know, what comes out of this, which is pretty much no gains and all the suffering. Um, the second, My second section is, like, my movies that kind of dip, just straight up depict war. 
um, whether that be in, as you mentioned, like a spectacular fashion or in a very um, like gritty, like hard to look at fashion. You know, there's very there's variance between those two very much throughout film history. And my last one, and this is kind of the one that's a bit more fun, just because I want to keep things a little light. Um, these are movies that like a do are set are, are <laughs> set within a war, but do something do something that like shifts the genre. So um, yeah, so like um, you know, maybe some fantasy elements, maybe some horror elements <laughs> Star Wars. here and there. <laughs> Star Wars, and that that'd be my first pick. Star Wars. No, no. He's I like, don't you fucking dare. Yeah. Brand, did you do anything special for yours, or did you just kind of go for it? Well, you know, war is good, war is bad. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are movies that do glorify war in a sense. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize those, just to point out uh, what what not necessarily is. But it's not like the major perspective of the movie. I I don't think any filmmaker goes into a movie, a war movie, and goes, "Yeah," like unless it's like. I don't know. Like Battleship. It, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Movies military that are propaganda. Clearly propaganda. Yeah, Irish yeah. the Covenant looks like that. It's not, surprisingly. But I thought it would be. That's why I didn't want to watch it, but you know, I had to make make her happy, so What? No <laughs> way. Alright. Yes. But way to, uh, way to throw her under the bus on the episode. Hey. But I think there's lots of ways to do it. You know, there's lots of uh, great war movies of different types in different eras because I don't want to stick primarily towards like World War Two and World War One, you know. Yeah. But I also don't want to stick primarily towards movies where it's just people on the battlefield getting slain left and right because there Even is more to awesome. war than that. <laughs> Even though we it's love so it, cool. <laughs> oh cool! I love it. So, I love war. it when in Saving God. Private Ryan. The guy, I love it in Sausage Party when the yes. Oreo loses his back. <laughs> that's you know what Sausage Party might count because in a way that's a religious war, really <laughs> a war. war of ideas. Holy war! It's a whole. It is a holy <laughs> war. It's, it's about war. faith. I, I we came to talk about war. Uh, wins above replacement, a stat in Major League Baseball that we all love, really, and that's like primarily where my movies come. We all love Major League Baseball. Yeah. Somehow you made all your war movies about baseball, like you do with sports <laughs> movies. I, it we'll see. We'll see how we see how it works out. Yeah. Well, um, without further ado, let's uh, let's get into it, shall we? Let's get into these war movies. Uh, yeah. Chris, I want you okay. to start. Cool. Tell, tell um, well, we movie, were huh? we were talking about um the whole the whole like glorification of war. Kind of being an inevitable thing when you just depict war in general, because oftentimes war is a spectacular thing to look at because you know it's extravagant. There's a lot of explosions and all this stuff, you know, and you know it's you make an exhibition out of it, right? Yeah. Um, and like you know, there's very and like I like we said, there's variance between how this can be handled because I was thinking about this while I was making my list. Like, um, I was talk. I remember a few years ago I was talking to. Um, one of the cinematography professors at Chapman, uh, Jörg Walther, uh, really, really sweet, the sweetest person ever. Yeah. And yeah. Jörg was telling me about, um, like, how he feels about war movies. Um, keep in mind, Jörg is a Polish cinematographer, born and raised in Poland. 
So, and he's quite old. So, he, you know, this is a very sensitive thing for him, understandably. And um, I asked, like, we were talking, and I was having this conversation with him right after uh, Sam Mendes's 1917 came out, which is a movie that I really like, Ethan really likes, and Brandon, you like, you like well enough. Um, and we, I was talking to him, like, what did he think about that movie visually? And he was telling me about how, um, as much as he admires the scope, the scale, and all the intricacies that went into making this film such a engrossing, almost like first-person experience, um, he did feel like this movie teetered into glorifying the war because the visuals are so overwhelmingly beautiful, and that that might be a compliment and a detriment to Deakins' work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But on the adverse side, you have movies like, say, all Quiet on the Western Front, which is incredibly hard to watch, especially the one from the 30s. I really like the one from the 30s because it's so brutal to and hard to look at. And the, the, even the one that came out last year, I thought was still nonetheless pretty good. Uh, didn't do much for me. That It didn't do anything new for me, but like, nonetheless, still, you know, kind of, those two movies kind of live within the, op- the opposite ends of that spectrum um, of like how you depict war on screen and the effects that it can have on that um yeah so like 1917 kind of has that glorifying look to it because it's so sterile it's very beautifully shot and then there's all quiet on the western front which has this very gripping and textured like grime to it you know what i'm saying um yeah and yeah so i've always found that to be something that like is very challenging for dps to helm because you know of course you want your films to look good but you also want your film's visuals to complement the tone of what you're trying to convey. Um, and I think 1917 and All Quiet handle that in their own regards very well. But yeah, yeah that's a little something for you. Um, I don't know if you guys have any takeaways on that or any thoughts beyond what I talked about. But uh, Noah, 1917 was one of mine. Um, one of my honorable mentions for like the during the war, you know. Um, I think it's just like, it does a really good job of placing you right in it, you know, and doing that, you know, the trick of making it all look like it's one take. Um, Mm -hmm. Super Uh, impressive. It's a stunt, by the way, Ethan. A stunt. (laughs) Not a trick. Or gimmick. We're bringing that back. (laughs) Yeah. How long? Wow. Where Where is he? Let's not mention his name, but where is he? (laughs) What's he doing right now? You know? (laughs) God knows. Who knows? Who knows? I hope he's well. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but yeah, 1917. I remember seeing that um, they did an early screening for it at the Felino in film school, Ooh. and I just remember being blown away. And I was just like, I was walking back to Snet One after watching that, and just being like, "Holy crap! Holy crap!" You know, I went, "Oh my god! <laughs> oh, my went, god. <laughs> oh my god! Holy crap!" <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is. It, you know, it made me say, yeah, war is awesome. No. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's the closest someone will ever get to an anti-war movie that shows off the spectacle of war because it is so relentless, you know? Because yeah. it is, it's it's a, it's a tiring, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, it's a tiring one take, you know, that they try to, that they try to pull off that stunt, uh, that gimmick, that stunt, that, <laughs> that stimmick. You know, it's it's them. not one take; it's two. What? 
It's two. There's a well, because because there's the blackout in the middle when he hits yeah. his head. Yeah. Maybe it just maybe everything did go black, like the whole world. You don't know that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Who's sub- <laughs> For subjectivity? All he saw. You know what I'm saying? For all he saw. Yeah. Um, I forgot. He, I forgot it's two. That's lame. Why'd they do that? Um, I don't know. I hate because they had to pass some time, so it went to nighttime. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I I think this is a masterpiece of a film. I I give it five stars. I gave it four and a half the first time I watched it, but then when I rewatched it with uh, I think I went and saw it with you, Chris. Yeah, I, I think it was when we took. What, did we take Tori to go see it or something? Yeah, I think so. Because I didn't see Something it with like you that. guys. It was because it was the, it was the January twenty twenty season, you know. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I was just like, "Wow, I you know I've never seen anything like this before." And mm-hmm. I wonder how I would feel if I revisit it. You know, maybe I I I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel revisiting it because I just remember it was like such a novel thing. You know. Um, yeah. And it was it was the movie that I wanted to win Best Picture. If that controversial, um, wow! I liked it. I like it more than Parasite. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I don't anymore. Who knows? You know. Uh, but at the time, it was like that was my favorite movie of the year, right behind Uncut Gems and uh, Endgame. So very yeah, very brutal film. Uh, very beautiful looking film. The the flare scene. Um, oh, I mean, the, come the on. The music to that. Like, I, the music to that is so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And just the way they did that, it was just like, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like ballet or something, you know? It feels like a, an opera, you know? The way that, like, mm-hmm. the lights go, it feels like stage lights, like, lighting up, like, this, this set, you know? Um, it's really mm-hmm. cool. Brandon, what do you think about 1917? You know, I don't think I have as, like, an emotional connection to the film as everyone else does. And I don't know why. And maybe it's because I, I mean, I'm not, I've seen a lot of war in my life. What? <laughs> you, you've seen, you, you? I've seen some shit. <laughs> you haven't. Oh, Arizona. That's no man's <laughs> land right there. That's ground zero for all war. I'm talking about war films. I'm, I'm talking about of... war movies. All right. <laughs> hey, I'm not talking about actual war. Um, and okay. I, I don't know. I just think when I look at this movie, it's not doing anything exceptionally, uh, in terms of its storytelling about, because yeah. uh, like in terms of war movie, it's pretty bog standard. It's a movie oh, yeah. about these Definitely. two soldiers who are like rookies trying to get to this mission. Uh, get this mission done for their um so that they can stop something from happening that's gonna happen but that's what and, i like about it it's so personal it's like so small yeah. scale it it, it, is, it this big war you know, it is but there's but there's like nothing about it that is essentially unique like i've seen movies that Period. utilize <laughs> that you that utilize like the ticking clock as an element and here i think it's less effective even if it is incredibly filmed on a technical i'm not gonna like discredit like the fact that it's not actually like one take or that it's like trying to do a gimmick or a stunt uh i i think that's really admirable and i think it i think the effects are great i think the performances are really good i just think when it comes to my emotional attachment to the film it just feels so generic in terms of what it's doing as a war movie 
I, I honestly, I kind of see what you're saying, Brandon. Because like, even as someone who, much like Ethan, gave this movie five stars, like, I mean, I was emotionally attached to the character, kind of similarly to Ethan, because of how simple and how like direct I was able to like connect to this person because of how close we were to them throughout yeah. the film in terms of its vis- like in how it goes about telling this person's story. But I do agree, like thematically, storytelling, plot-wise, nothing new here. It's this movie's all about the the what I believed. I believe this movie's more than anything about the experience of watching of this real time experience. If you know what I right. mean, right? Yeah, and like, and yeah, I mean, and like, Brand, I know you and I shared gripes about this, even though I love this movie. That like this movie should not have been nominated for a screenwriting act Oscar. I no. thought that was ridiculous. No. I don't know where <laughs> that came stupid. from. Yeah, I was like, what? They're, they have like, they have like no lines and like <laughs> like it's so straight up. Like the craftsmanship is what you're here for. There's you know? a yeah. there's a reason why Sam Mendes was getting all the praise for this movie. It yeah, was, it's Mendes and Deacon. It's, it's Deacon a, the director is like the star. Movie. I feel like Deacon's yeah. and Mendes were the stars of this movie. You know, which is like, and I, that's why I wish I'm I'm happy that Bong Joon Ho won for Parasite because that's incredibly yeah. well directed, one of my favorite movies. But yeah, it's like when you look at a directorial achievement, size and scope is really important to rein it all in. And that's what's most impressive about this movie because, like, you might be connected to the characters, but the war films where I connect most to the characters are not the ones where they're always on the battlefield, you know? Whereas this movie is almost exclusively, they're always on the battlefield, Yeah, you know? There's no time for them to, except for that one scene with the lady, um, you and know. And the kid, and the baby. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, the one scene. Yeah. That it feels like it's trying to do something different, whereas everything else is running away or ah. walking through a minefield. <laughs> well, not that Brandon, it's not impressive, but it's good. Do you want to talk about a film that's really impressive yeah. to you that you know that you we, emotionally resonate with? No, I, I, I oh no, I'm okay. not. I'm, I'm not gonna say that this movie emotionally resonated with me, but I think the, it the is characters. A I mean, you know. Oh, you want me to change it up there? Well, I could save that other one for later. No, I'm just saying, talk about another war film. I was trying to do a classy segue to your next pick. I mean, I guess so. I guess it could do that. Um, It's (laughs) ironic. Keep talking about 1917. I don't know. No, 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 no. I, I. It's ironic that I said at the beginning of our episode that I didn't want to do any World War II movies, but I have an exception. Uh, And I'm talking about this movie from Denmark. It's called uh, Soldier of Orange. Directed Orange by County? Paul Verhoeven. You, <laughs> the Paul soldier Verhoeven. of La Palma. Soldier, <laughs> soldier of Orange. Everyone, <laughs> me with, me with the musket. Can you, <laughs> can you refer to Brandon as the soldier of La Palma from now on? Whoever's listening. Yeah. La, Pro- La Palma's bravest warrior. Okay. So it stars Paul uh, uh, Rutger Hauer. It, uh-huh. So, and it's about a small group of friends who go to school in Netherlands during World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, right before World War II, and then when, like, the Nazis invade uh, Netherlands, there are a lot of people who, um, like, there are people who side with them in their friend group. There are people who side with the resistance. Some are, like, wanting to be, like, uh, what? It, what is it? Um they're not conscious as object- objectors they just don't want to participate in anything like they're neutral 
And so, like, you see all of these friends uh, sort of weave in and out of each other's lives through the war, uh, through, like, the actual battlefield to, like, the political battlefield of it all. And some, like, join the Nazi side and, like, go hardcore into the ideology, whereas some of them are so far against it. And then when they meet up it later in their life during the war, it makes for a very interesting dichotomy because they have a history. And yeah. they obviously have a disagreement over... Uh, what step to take next but that's what makes it so good because you you have this personal connection to the characters that is established before in the prologue of the movie essentially and then as the film progresses and there's flash forwards and flashbacks to uh, their lives it, it just builds and builds until there's like a very interesting emotional catharsis in the third act uh, regarding all of their fates and it's tragic, but it's also kind of beautiful in that sense, you know, and I, I'm not saying, oh, I empathize for like a Nazi figure or like an Axis power figure in history. But it is very interesting to see that perspective, to see how somebody can be corrupted and turned into something that they initially didn't seem to be about. Nice. Definitely. I really I mean, I, I've never even heard of this film, but just like hearing what you were saying and seeing what's on Letterboxd, like. This does sound like a really interesting concept for a film for more re for many reasons, but specifically for me because it's I think it highlights something that is doesn't get talked about very much when it comes to like the nature of war and just like geopolitical conflicts is that there's no absolute right answer among a singular body of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be people who inevitably feel differently from others and like some who are dead neutral, some who are very radically on one side and some who are very radically on the other. And I find that to be really interesting because like throughout time and history, like oftentimes it's those little interactions and conflicts between differing ideologies that drive war forward. And also, you know, and I think like, Learning to recognize where these differences come from can hopefully help to, towards informing people about how to avoid conflict and how to work through your work through conflict in productive and diplomatic ways rather than just fucking killing each other, which I think is stupid. Right, because yeah. this movie has a few like battles in it, but like for the most part, it's like the characters like speaking to one another and that friction that maybe felt there. Not that that like is a dominating force, but you know, when it is people in their twenties and thirties, like that is the time when like they're evolving into the people like that they're going to be for the rest of their lives, yeah. And essentially seeing their changes and their maybe their the ways they're able to like realize what's morally right in certain situations versus what is morally wrong, and how they grapple with those decisions that they make, even like killing somebody, you know. It's really fantastic. It's it, it reminds me of that scene, those scenes in those war movies. Like, I don't know if we're going to talk about them later, but like something like Hacksaw Ridge, where uh, or All Quiet on the Western Front, where there's an armistice between two individuals because yeah. they're in pain or because you know they're they're on opposing sides, but they they yeah. care for each other because there's this natural humanity. Because you realize there. that yeah, you're hu you're both human. You know what right. I mean. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like, oh my god the be that's the fighting? beauty of that yeah you know yeah it's like if we can do that for each other not just out of a selfish need but be not and that that's where it comes like that personal connection of them being friends comes from that that drives their connection and it's like oh that really uh really stirs my heart 
Yeah, I'm really curious to see this one because um, very hard I know to find. Paul Verhoeven is you know he's he's really apt to making really uh, unique commentaries. You know, I, I I mean the only war commentary that I've seen from him is Starship Troopers. That's Which a is war also movie. good. It's a, it's a very great good. movie. Um, and I it's just like his his style is very brash. I feel you know his commentary. Uh, his early stuff is not. No, really. Actually, I I would say like this. This is one of my favorites of his. I might be my favorite. And really? Yeah, I love RoboCop. I love Total Recall. I love the Starship Troopers. But Soldier of Orange feels like it's scaled back because he's so in tune with genre, and sometimes that genre excess is like all over the commentary, and that makes it more shiny in a sense, makes it easier to process and more overt. Whereas here, it, it feels like it feels like a, a like a Hollywood director or like an auteur director from Europe has taken his skills as like a director and made like a really good drama, like adult drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, this was one of those movies that I, when I saw it, I think I saw it on Library Archive, so if anybody's looking for it, go there. Um, but yeah, it's very good. I I actually just got the DVD probably like a month ago. Uh, that was very hard to find, and I got a region free disc. So, ooh, look at you, ooh. nice. Yeah. Um. All right, let me let me toss one to the mix here. Um. I will start. I I'm gonna do an honorable mention of one that's pretty similar. Maybe you'll talk about it, Brandon. Um. It sounds pretty similar. Uh, a hidden life. I'm gonna give. I thought about that. it, but uh, I didn't see that. It's such good. a good film. Right. I think it might be my favorite Terrence Malick movie. Um, I think it's it is. Um, but one film that I want to talk about that sort of captures a pretty interesting pre-war commentary um, that takes place days before uh, the U.S.'s involvement in World War II. Um, it was, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yeah, days before Pearl Harbor, it won Best Picture, Brandon, uh, From Here to Eternity. From Here to Eternity. Oh, good movie. This, good this movie. is a great from movie. From Here to Eternity. Um, you know, everyone knows the movie from that famous scene where they're kissing on the beach and the waves. Oh, happen, you know, Sh- there's a Shrek, Shrek 2 referenced it. The, yeah, yeah, there's a Shrek, Shrek yeah. 2 references it, but, um. That movie is so much more than that scene. Like, that scene is, like, not it even is. anything in the movie. It isn't. Um, it's like that scene of Raquel Welch in Dr. No, the James Bond movie of her walking up in the bikini. It's, oh, like, yeah. one brief moment, and then it's, yeah. like, that for this movie. It's, like, that romance, it's good, but it's, yeah. like, not the heart of the movie. Exactly. Everyone would probably assume that that scene is, like, the climax of the film. Like, their love is just, you know... Uh, is heightened to that moment, you know, and they finally... No, that happens, like, in the first act, and then there's, like, more drama, you know, after yeah. that scene. Um, but what I love about this is it's a film from the 50s, you know, and 53. so it's pretty pretty still off the, the coattails of World War II, you know, and you most, most films you would see post-World War II were very patriotic, very nationalistic, you know, very pro-U.S. in the war. But this one is, like, 
it's a very personal character piece on these soldiers who are stationed in Hawaii before Pearl Harbor is attacked. And it sort of shows that they're not great people, you know, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. For It seems so ahead of its time for a film in the 50s to be making a film like this about showing that, like, um, the, the people that we sent off to war and the people that also died during the attacks in Pearl Harbor, they weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, saints. They weren't perfect people. Some people in this in this army weren't the best, you know. Um, and it shows them, you know, uh, grappling through uh, relationships, you know, um, you know, uh, cheating on. There, there's a dude who, like, uh, he sort of cucks the general's wife, you know, the general with his <laughs> wife. And that, that's the scene where they're kissing on the beach. That's like a, uh, his superior's wife, you know, that they're trying to, like... Um, figure out what to do there and then uh there's a guy who sort of uh he falls in love with a girl who works at like one of the brothels at, in Hawaii, you know. Um and I think that's my favorite that's my favorite like uh plot side story. Film. Yeah. Side story. Um we got Marty in this film. He's a douche. He's racist Ernest Italians. Bor- yeah, Ernest you know? Borgnine. He's yeah, so Ernest, good. Ernest Borgnine. Um and Frank Sinatra He's very good. Frank Sinatra. He's really good. He's, he's a, a good it's actor. A first movie, it's the first movie I've ever seen Frank Sinatra act in. I was like, wow. I didn't even know it was him, if I'm going to be honest. I looked he's up so like, skinny and short, too. He's so it's skinny crazy. and short. Um, and he's he's very charismatic, you know? And, like, the, his talking voice is nothing like a singing voice, you mm-hmm. know? And they just, they all play very flawed people. Which is super, like, no one's, like, a truly good person in this movie. Which is so, it was just, like, it blew my mind that it came out in the, excuse me, in the 50s, right after, you know, mm-hmm. World War II. Um, because I feel like that was a time for people to, like, celebrate these heroes who fought in the war, you know. But this film's like, no, it's, um you know, there, there weren't perfect people here. And that's why I, like, it's one of my uh, favorite Best Picture winners that I've watched in recent memory. Um, but yeah, Brandon, you've seen it. Have you seen it recently or how long has it been since you've seen it? It's, it's been a while. It's been a while, but I remember it, which is definitely a, a, a good sign for a movie, especially when you, when you go through as many movies as, uh, all three of us do, it's sometimes hard to like, remember every movie, like the details and such, but yeah. there are things that stand out to me, like bar brawls between people, uh, the ending, uh, climactic scene where I Pearl Harbor is like basically taking place. Yeah. Incredible stuff, especially for the fifties, right? It's uh, yeah. getting past the concept of a fetishizing war. It, it really takes its time to develop all of the, the characters and get you get like, get you to know like what, what it's like being in one of these camps before a war even starts, you know, cause there, there's no like reason for them to be like this. The U S has no interest in being involved in, at world war ii at the time at least uh militarily you know they may be giving aid and such but during that time world war ii and the u.s was like so separate and so like f- to see them walking around in their everyday lives in this impending sense of doom but also seeing like how their lives sort of go through that change when they're attacked very interesting yeah. and i think you're right ethan there's 
it's very surprising to see that so early on after uh, World War II, which most people consider to be one of the greater American victories in terms of uh, war. Yeah. Uh, in, and not one that is as uh, negatively branded. Uh, because mm-hmm. you know Vietnam, Iraq, it's pretty obvious to see why those are like negatively branded. But here, like World War II, is often the one that everybody points to and goes, "That one was necessary. It's fine." You know, yeah, they're not trying to fetishize it. It's just there were so many sacrifices, and it's terrible that there had to be sacrifices made, but they had to happen. And it's great to see that there is a more nuanced perspective. And you see that in a film like The Best Years of Our Lives, which also came out yeah. in, in the 1940s. That came out even well, closer to World War II. I think it was like right after. And it's like, yeah, there is such a strong and poignant commentary about how it affects soldiers after the fact. And they utilize in both films, actors and non-actors. And it's it's very impressive to see that back then they were still able to capture these like little uh, uh, moral, moral, this moral grayness that I think we think older films are incapable of doing because they were made at a time when it was more propaganda was more common. Mm-hmm. But I think propaganda was just more overt. And now we're when we dig, you find stuff. You know, like there's Mr. Roberts, which is a John Ford movie from around the same time, and um, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Those two movies. Those are ones that view war in like a enhanced, it's beautiful perspective. But th- these yeah. two movies, my goodness, they really provide a commentary. Gracious, yeah. Um, Chris, if you, I, I, have you seen this film? If you don't, um, no, I. I'm we can not. just move on uh, to the next one for your next picks if you want to. Yeah, sure. Um, I really like what you guys were talking about when it came to like, Ethan. You were talking about how like the the humanization of these characters and like how we explore how these characters, these soldiers that we send to war are not perfect humans. Right. And I think that's, and like, you know, oftentimes I feel like when it comes to like conflict, it's easy to have a really black and white image of good and evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like the good guys, the bad guys, you root for these guys, you hope these guys die, blah, blah, blah. But you know, as you get older and I think like as you kind of start to understand how this stuff works, like, you start to realize how, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of evil people in, in the world, but there's a lot of grain, there, more than anything, there's a lot of grayness in the world, and you, yeah. don't, you don't always know, you know what I mean? And I think a movie that helped, that um, highlights that as well, and this is a war, this is a war, it takes place during war, but you don't really see the fighting, um, is, we've talked about this before, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but Jojo Rabbit. Um, yeah, uh, I know this movie's a bit of a can of worms to open because it's it's a bit of a controversial movie now. Um, and you know, it has its fair share of people who love it and fair share of people who, who hate it. Um, but for me, when I saw this movie, I was really struck by how, by how I was found myself empathizing with this thing that I never would have thought I would empathize with. Now, it's not to say that I endorse anything that's happening in that movie, that's happening, you know, obviously. However, the thing that makes this movie work for me is that we see the eyes, sorry, we see the war and the discrimination and all these awful things through the eyes of a, 
um, what's a word for this? Impressionable child. You know what I mean? And I think like, you know, to con like what better way to contrast the dehumanization of humans in a war than the eyes of a child and to see the innocence fade from their eyes as this war br brings down hell upon them. Um, and, you know, Jojo Rabbit, it's a com it's a comedy, you know, and it's a very fun movie, but it's also at times devastatingly sad because you you're forced to watch like like how is how like i've always found it bizarre I, and i think i've talked to justin about this a bunch about how like at what point in human history did we decide that killing each other for our beliefs and needs is okay and i mean i guess that dates back to the very earliest days of human history but jojo rabbit for me did a really good job of explaining how you can corrupt the mind of someone so easily, especially a child, an impressionable child. Um, and I found that to be devastatingly sad. But also, they did a great job of satirizing it. And at least in my opinion, like I, I've never laughed at it, not laughed at the expense of Nazis more than in this movie. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that's great. Like I, I personally didn't, um, you know, like didn't really find too much issue with it. But I can see the critique from others, especially from those who may feel more um, negatively about it, who are from the Jewish community. Um, <laughs> but on my end, I very, I very much found this movie to be really enlightening, and I really enjoyed it. I just um, maybe people yeah. think it trivializes the experience gone through by. I, I'm uh, sure it definitely. It, I can certainly heard. see yeah. that. I can certainly see like how it can be an oversimplification of a much more um, complex issue. However, as a person who was never, who is not part of that community, wasn't alive at that time, doesn't really know all that much about how the, about the Hitler youth and all that stuff. For me, and this is just my experience, keep in mind, I found it to be really, really great. And that's just like, I'm just speaking on my experience there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, and I I brought this up because I I really liked what you guys said about humanizing the the and about how it about humanizing what is more than likely the most dehumanizing dehumanizing thing in the on our planet, which yeah. is war. Um, I yeah, I I'm with you, Chris. I think this movie. I personally found it very profound, um, because. I can totally see why, you know, people from the Jewish community would, like, see this as, like, wait, you're you're satirizing, like, one of the worst atrocities that happened to our people, you know? Um, but how I see it is Taiko Waititi is, he's making a celebration of love and an anti- it's just like and a, a kindness trumps everything kindness trumps overall in life you know i think that's like that was like the biggest takeaway message that i that i got when i saw this movie i'm like oh the human ability to be kind is our greatest superpower of all you know and showing that having a child learn that the hard way by being uh by being raised in a community um 
whose foundation is based on hate and hatred and fear um and having him and like through his mother um you know uh, hiding a jewish girl in their house and him sl- starting to slowly learn like unravel that this reality that he was told like uh is not true at all you know and um it's just it's a be- i just think i find it a beautiful film you know especially mm-hmm. once you finally get down to it in the last scene of the film where they're dancing to david bowie heroes you know a german version of it i i like tear up during that scene you know um I, I was at Planet Fitness the other day, and they started playing that on the TV while I was running the treadmill. Like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm like, I, I was like, I was getting emotional even though I couldn't hear the movie play, and I was like, you know, I was like 20 minutes into my run, and I was like, I'm exhausted, but I'm like, I'm about to tear up, bro. Like, what's going on, you know? Um, but, uh, and I, I, I mean, if I can, like. I can understand the hate for Taika Waititi for his performance as Hitler, like satirizing that, making a clown out of a very scary historical figure. But I think it's like, it's used sparingly enough, you know? And I think it's communicated quite clear that like, yeah, like a kid would see Hitler as this, um, a kid who grew up in Nazi Germany, you know, raised the those horrible morals would see Hitler as like this hero and you see that you see that today and i'm not like i'm not going to compare these two these two people are very different but i still think they're very bad people you see kids like sell like seeing trump as a superhero you know a lot of kids there's literally like, like there's literally buses with like trump decals but they photoshopped his head onto rocky balboa like super yeah and it's just like this shit still happens you know, kids yeah. still idolize because you're because brainwashing a child is the easiest thing to do, you know, because yeah, their brain is still developing. So they'll believe anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that was a very pertinent lesson. Uh, yeah, Coney 2012 taught us that. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely did. Exactly. It taught us that. It happened to me. It happened, <laughs> to, me. It happened to me. It happened to me. It can happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> is that the guy from the star wars <laughs> oh no, man that's joseph coney well oh, you know God. like downfall does a good enough job at you know that hitler movie from the early 2000s where bruno gans plays hitler and you see his yes. last days from the famous you meme. know yeah. yeah and it and it's meme. and it's great because you don't it's not a movie where you're like trying to empathize with it neither is jojo rabbit you know i i think both of those films are are squarely focused on historical analysis on downfall's part but on the other part is to make fun of and infantilize a character not a character a person who is a horrible monster and i don't get why i i do get why people would say it's problematic but i don't agree I, I think anything in art should be taken, not not be taken at face value. And I think they do with that because they're so often used to doing that with somebody who's a comedic director like Taika Waititi. And we have our problems with the way he talks about his even his own art. Yeah. But like, I think he, at least with the exception of Thor Love and Thunder, has made terrific films yeah. that are very he personal. One of my all-time favorite yeah. directors until Love and Thunder, you know? Yeah. 
I don't know what happened there. Kind of fell off out there. <laughs> he did. But I think well. I think the hate for the person has sort of overtaken the hate for the movie. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. I agree with that. No, I do agree. With so, that. um, Brandon, you want to jump us into another one? Yeah. Um, I've got a 1997 satire uh, starring Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. Huh. Uh, it's called Wag the Dog. Have you guys heard of this one? Wag, Wag the dog? The dog. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of it? You made this up. No. No, I real. did not. It's real. <laughs> it's directed by Barry Levinson, and it follows the... Okay, guys, this came out before the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, a month before it dropped. So, essentially, the president is caught making advances on an underage girl in the Oval Office. Ooh, two weeks... That's two weeks, spicy. That's two spicy. weeks before the election. So the the Secret Service and his uh, foreign policy and policy advisors uh, call in two people, Robert De Niro's character and Dustin Hoffman's character, to make up a war that doesn't exist so that it will bump his poll numbers up before the election so that he gets reelected. And Whoa. so they make up a oh. war so in Albania and try to like make it so that people are like oh let's rally around the flag let's rally around the troops and essentially like it's it involves like an actress played by a young Kirsten Dunst running through a town with like a baby they manufacture or a cat and they like manufacture like explosions going off around her and then they try to trick the media into doing things and then they have to come up with a story about a hero who's lost overseas because the CIA is like, we don't really have a side in this. We don't want the president. But they're like, there's no evidence of a war. So they're breathing down the like the executive branch's neck. And it's it's a comedy. It's a very dark comedy, but it's it's so funny. And I, I watched it probably about a month or two ago. And I remember thinking, like, how crazy is it that one, it came out before uh the clinton Lewinsky scandal that then succeeded to do a a, a bombing campaign in 1998 <laughs> in kosovo in iraq so it's like there are so many things that you could draw a parallel to in real life but also it's it's commenting on the military industrial complex and how that tricks americans into thinking okay we need a rally behind the flag and rally behind the executive because they will lead us through this war as you saw during world war ii with FDR getting elected four times in a row. So very interesting movie. Absolutely. That sounds very interesting. It's a great concept. Yeah. The, the, and also like the fact that like, I hear that and as ridiculous of a concept as that is, I can buy into it. Like, like if, if someone told me like some president tried that shit at some point, there's a small part of me that might believe it just because like, you know, worse shit happens. What we need is another war. What we do, we do. No, I'm kidding. We don't need another <laughs> war. We need to stop all wars. We need another uh, war movie. I'll, I'm going to shout one out. Um, go for it. Oh, man. Th- this one's my toughest one of which one I'm going to talk about, where it's one that takes place, like, in the shit, in the war, you know? Um, mm. Chris already mentioned 1917. Um, I am going to go with... I think the scariest war film ever made. Come and see. Ooh, oh. I've not seen this yet. You haven't I've seen heard this it's yet. devastating. I've heard it's devastating though. 
it is absolutely relentless. It takes place. It's the um, this is also World War Two, right, Brandon? I believe so. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's, it's the Nazi invasion of Belarus, um, and you just follow this kid, literally a kid, who is just trying to make, just trying to stay alive during this, you know, um, and uh, this director, what's his name again? Alan uh Alan Klimov. Klimov or something. Klimov is relentless in showing like just how awful uh the Nazis were, you know. It's so it brutal. It's, it's so, so brutal. brutal. They don't even There's a barn about... scene that is something. I, I'm sure you've heard of that scene, Chris. Have you? Yeah. I've that... heard of a barn scene, but I don't know what happens in it. I don't want to tell you what happens in this barn scene, but it is um it is just insane to say the least and the way you watch this kid like change in real time you know and physically too this is he something that older. actually happens that that actually happens in real life they've sent yeah. like kids off to war and they come back with wrinkles on their face you know because it, they yeah. literally just go to the most stressful situations the human could possibly experience you know any human um but you're just you're always like on the edge of your seat like just praying this kid makes it out alive you know and avoids this the danger and everything like that and like when he has to like run across the field being shot at you know trudging through swamps the swamps of belarus it's um i remember watching it and just like having to just like take a second after the movie and just be like that people that happened to some people you know it feels a lot like um i don't know if you're going to talk about this brandon but the human condition i thought about it but specifically the human condition uh three i feel like they're very similar um and the third one i think is my favorite um i'm a first one kind of guy first one but the second but, one's the, the second one's the weakest, right? Yeah, it's agree. good. It's really good, but the third and first are the third and first above are it. just way above it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just like it's just an exercise in human resiliency through the absolute worst and the scariest situations one could be in, mm-hmm. and um. He's face-to-face with evil, evil people. And he's, like, defenseless. He has no weapons. Yeah. He's, he is, like... Kid. There's nothing on his back but his his clothes. And the way he sees the world, and you see it from his perspective sometimes, is, like, surreal. Because sometimes as a kid, your, like, imagination takes hold. But we never imagine outside of like a a monster under your bed type situation what it would be like for a kid to go through like the horror yeah of war you know not even like jojo rabbit could do that which is a much more lighter version of of a child in war than this which is like utterly gross (laughs) and devastating and dim yeah just want to take a shower after you do you want to just take a shower and just like like be comfy and cozy and watch like I don't know. Minions 2. <laughs> no, that... 
maybe the rise of Gru makes you want to drink out of a minion sipper. <laughs> My minion sipper's out of water, everybody. I'm sorry. No funny sounds this time. But yeah, Chris, don't you own this on Criterion? Didn't wasn't this a movie you bought? This this was one of my blind blind purchases, and it's sitting in it's sitting in a uh, my room in your apartment right now. Oh yeah, see, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch your Criterion of it tonight. No, <laughs> don't you have one? Yeah, I already have Dude, one. Um, I don't know if it's on my list. Um, but yeah, you just you gotta be in a mood for that one, Chris. Oh, I, I understand why you have why you put it off. You know, it's a. Yeah. It's a real film. You gotta just be like, "All right, I'm ready to see some shit," you know. Yeah. Um, Speaking of um being thrown into just watching the shit unfold. Yeah. Um, I'll throw in two movies here. Um, the first one is a movie that I have been studying quite a bit in my editing class from my first semester at LMU. Uh, we basically were each assigned a movie from the last ten years and had to like basically dissect its editing down to like individual frames almost Mm -hmm. which was exhausting um but i got to do i was given dunkirk Um, (laughs) yeah i kind of sharing that with you brandon i do really like this movie but i can i I think it suffers from almost a similar uh issue that uh 1917 does i was gonna make a comparison when we were talking honestly that would make a good comparison those two films make a great comparative essay um Dunkirk directed by Nolan, you know, similarly to 1917, beautiful craftsmanship, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it does a really great job of throwing you into it. You know, you feel very well immersed, which is very much something that Nolan is fantastic at, is kind of enworldening his audience. And to throw them into the the um, in, into the conflict at Dunkirk, uh, it was something that I thought was incredibly... Uh, engrossing. I felt very much immersed in that world. Um, I felt the danger. But another thing, I felt unusually apathetic about the characters. As much as, like, you know, oh my gosh, I hope they make it out. Like, if if one of them died, I wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have shed a tear over it. Yeah. Which I, and, like, mechanical. I suppose in a way that's kind of, like, in a way, like, having it be kind of, like, emotionally stunted and allowing the the sheer um like the sheer uh like terror of the event be the forefront of the film in yeah. a way that works yeah. just as well but um yeah it does lack that characterization um one more movie i'll throw in real quick uh just because i i have to um this might be more of a protest movie but I think it has a lot of commonality with Battle of Algiers, so I'm going to throw it in. And also, Brandon recently watched it because I made him watch it. Uh, Revolution of Our Times. More mm-hmm. of a protest movie than a war, specific war movie. But I think in a way, it still yeah. nonetheless kind of functions in the same kind of realm, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to throw that in there because I just like trying out this movie. Um, cool. We're coming would up in an hour here, you, guys. You oh, sorry. Go ahead. Would you, would you call what, uh, what's going on in Hong Kong a war? No, not, I mean, not, now war's over, but um, (laughs) at the time, I would have called it, like, significant, okay, this might just be, like, me diplomatically, like, talking, but, like, it came across much. So you can go home this month. I can go home. Yeah, careful. Uh, But, um, but yeah, I kind of saw it as, like, just mass civil disobedience. There was definitely a lot of, like, crazy shit There was, like, and, and, like, some awful things happened. Um, yeah, and admittedly, both sides perpetrated some awful things. 
Um, but uh, you know, yeah. I, I but the reason I throw this I throw this movie in there is because I think just having it as a collection of real world film of real world like you know just transparently laid out for you. Yeah. I find that to be really interesting. I've, that's why I drew that comparison to Battle of Algiers, even though there is some level of construction within Battle of Algiers. But these two films kind of teeter in that same space where they mostly they are mostly just transparent, um, you know, like uh, actuality films in a weird way. Or just documentary, I suppose, in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do you guys have any last things you want to shout out before we kind of wrap it up here as we're yeah. getting towards the hour mark? Well, I, I never talked about any films that sort of like uh, went through like the process of post-war. Um, mm. So I have a couple of honorable mentions here. Um, I think uh, The Five Bloods is a really oh, good yeah. uh, reflection of war and um, the effects it has on people, you know, and the psychology. Especially the psyche of the soldiers, yeah. The psyche of the soldiers. Um, Delroy Lindo, man, he should have won Best Actor. He was wasn't really even nominated. That year. He wasn't even fucking nominated. That made me so mad. Um, Incendies. I was going to pick Incendies oh, as a post-war. Because that, yeah, that, has to, that has to do with memory in war, you know? Um, and just uncovering a story of these kids and their mother and just how crazy that was i don't I, that i think it's a fictional war but still you know um you still very much see that sort of stuff happen you know in a mo- in like a relatively modern war scape you know um but the last one i really want to talk about is an anti or a post-war movie is hiroshima monomore um i was and, this was on my list as well yeah just sort of um shared trauma you know and two people finding each other through um, just sharing the their experiences in war, you know? A man and a woman and the love that they find for one another um, in a place that was hit with war the worst, Hiroshima, you know? Um, yeah. And I just, I remember just, like, finding this film so beautiful the first time I watched it, and um, it's very... It's a very uh, slowly paced movie, very melancholic, you know, and reflective because it's like it takes place in this spot that's like it feels like time stopped when the bomb hit Hiroshima, you know? Um, yeah. And and it, it's just it's it's a very traumatizing film, but it's also a very um, comforting film where these two people from two different sides of the planet during this war, you know, found solace in each other, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I just think it's great. I know Chris, you love this film a lot. Like, yeah, me. this movie is beautiful. I, I was very touched to like, I mean, like what you said, Ethan, like these two people who, yes, like share, share an experience, but, um, of, you know, the devastation that they felt, uh, personally and just in their home throughout the war, but also, um how they find like companionship in one another and feel like feel like their feelings are validated by one another's um experiences um i i found it, i don't know i i found that the the kind of ambient quality that comes through with this film where you kind of have this very like solemn and um desolate you know kind of uh kind of feeling when you watch this film it it's 
it's depressing, but also like it's it's the most comforting thing after the fact to know that you're not alone. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and I think this was. I mean, you know, you can draw parallels um, of the these two characters dynamic between two people who share any level of similarity and experience and i think that speaks to like the human condition very well but also a very but is so it's broad in that way but also very specific about what happened to them throughout this time period um yeah um going off that another movie that i think shows the repercussions of war and granted this one takes place during the war but um is more about the fallout and what came of it um grave of fireflies that was one of my honor mentions too. Yeah, devastating. Brandon, set. even according to Brandon, too sad. A little too sad for for too Brandon. Too sad. Too sad for a giddy little Brandon. Oh, he's so he's <laughs> um, so happy. Look at him. He's jumping, jumping jacks, and he's playing on the Ferris clapping, the Ferris wheel. Yeah, he doesn't like a little uh, sad movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, Grave of Fireflies. I mean, yeah. In a way, kind of similar to Hiroshima, one or more, where it's like two people have a shared experience, and then some some devastating shit happens. I don't want to I don't want to spoil because too much about this movie because there is some very devastating stuff that happens in this movie, oh. and once you kind of piece it all together, the title makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, oh yeah, and I I just like I like how we explore the the like what what such a ridiculous conflict um causes harm and how much harm it causes to people all over the world um Mm. and the repercussions of that and why it's just just stop fighting like just put it down like i don't know stop killing each other let's see at the end of the day like why yeah do you really like honestly do you care that we do you care that much to to kill someone for that Yes. I, I don't. I don't care about anything enough to kill someone. Um, Brandon but, does. Look at him. What is he doing? What are you doing with your eyes? I think he's plotting to kill someone. He's doing slanty eyes right now. <laughs> That's racist, Brandon. What do you fuck? I'm being framed. I'm not doing racist eyes. <laughs> are you being racist right now, Brandon? Oh, he's no. making big eyes. I'm making big eyes. Oh, sure. Ew, that's gross. Stop doing that. <laughs> Talk about some movies, Brandon. What do you think? What do you think um, war? If, <laughs> if we're going to talk about a post-war movie, my yeah. first thought goes to Born on the Fourth of July, which kind of shows the stages. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Because, you know. The holes in the middle. Uh, yeah, Ethan hated that. all I that. remember. I, yeah. I, I walked in, I saw that, I'm like, that is atrocious. I'm leaving. It's because it's like the the lead character played by Tom Cruise is played on the fourth of July or is born on the fourth of July. And so like he sees his his birthday as like this patriotic duty. And then when he goes he like enlists in the war, he's so excited. That's in most kids who don't know what war is and the consequences. And then once he enlists, he there's like one war scene or two war scenes that are absolutely devastating, akin to like something like Come and See. Um and Oliver Stone really just has an eye for it maybe because he's a veteran himself very anti-war in his filmmaking but he just he just gets it and then the whole back half of the movie is him grappling with his experiences and his new uh new issues regarding uh being a veteran uh his his disability that he gains his uh issue with the government how they handle veterans issues like that's a great one 
Uh, I think Paths of Glory is another really good anti-war movie. Yes. It's a good Kubrick that kind of comments on masculinity, but also like the futile nature of war and how the people in power don't always have to really deal with the ramifications of the actions that are made. And it's really compelling as a courtroom drama as well. Um, There is a south korean movie that i watched in korean cinema in college that i also really like it's called uh welcome to dong mcgall um it's essentially ethan did you watch lost horizon uh it's a capra movie from the 30s i'm asking maybe because uh okay no well it's okay well it's about the korean war and not lost horizon welcome to Dong mccall and there are pilots who are crashing in like this foresty mountainy area in south korea between south and north korea it's kind of unnamed but it's essentially they stumble upon upon a land of like that's lost in time kind of like utopian residence Mm-hmm. Where there's like no war, it's just a small town, everybody sort of gets along. And what happens when both South Korean and North Korean soldiers and an American soldier end up there? Because obviously they don't want to disturb the peace of this small town that's idyllic and utopian. But also they all have their ideologies and what they stand for. And so I like how it plays with the restraint there, and then it forces those soldiers to like look past the sides they're fighting for. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, that sounds cool. But, and failsafe. That's just one of my favorites. Oh. I love. I love that. Talk about it. We haven't really talked about Cold War movies. You know, that's a, yeah. That's probably one of the best Cold War movies out there. Whenever we do these genre episodes. I notice our conversations go way longer because these genres Because it's so big. Yeah, it's it's such a broad topic. Um, I didn't think... At first, I didn't think this was going to be like a topic that was going to generate a lot of conversation. But then when I was looking at the movies... That's why we haven't done it for so long. Yeah. I remember we brought it up a while ago and we're like, I don't know. It's just like... It's war movies, you know? There's not much to say, but we got a lot out of it this episode. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, let us know your favorite war movies. Um, and if you like war or not in the comments, Chris, you want to say something? Yeah. Can I can I throw in a couple of last-minute uh, oh, honorable mentions? Absolutely, yeah. Let's throw in some honorable mentions. Okay. I'll, I'll make these quick. Um, I'm I'm just going to name off ones that – like, there are ones that I w- put in, like – like when you said sausage party, I wrote that down because I was like, okay, maybe I'll talk about that. <laughs> That's because like one. maybe there is a religious like undertone I could go into this thing, but um, I'm 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 omitting anything that was even mentioned. So like no hacksaw ridge, no sausage party. Um, uh, but I will throw in Schindler's List. Yes. Um, uh, Boy in the Striped Pajamas. That was very formative for me growing up because that was I so never okay. really was confronted by that before when I was growing up. Uh, that was a history class 101 for me. Oh, really? um, Full Metal Jacket. I thought that was a that that movie's really great. I think the the um just like the uh, like you know the 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 psychological effects on um war has on soldiers. I think yeah. this is that it explores it really well. Last ones. These are more like the outside the box like genre ones. Um, like like outside of the mainline genre. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, Overlord, The Great Dictator. And this is more like a political drama than oh, a straight up war movie, but it does it is a war. Dune. That Dune is, is a war. war. That it, is a Dune war. Dune is a war. 
Guys, yeah, we never even mentioned war. war for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, War for the Planet of the Apes. Damn, Apes. that movie's so good. Okay, good. let me show some honorable mentions. Um, my two internment camp movies: uh, Bridge on the River Kwai and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Very good Very war movies that uh, say a lot about human connection uh, when being imprisoned. Um, Saving Private Ryan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else? What else we got here? Um, Pass of Glory, you got Zero I Dark Thirty? Yeah. I, I'm surprised, Chris, you never talked about Ran. Oh, fuck. I didn't even think of that. That's a that's a war. It's a war between brothers. That is a brothers. huge war movie. That wasn't even listed on Letterboxd as a, Kagamusha as a war movie. Kagamusha is what also a war movie. Some, okay, I'm, yeah, throwing around in there. That's a great movie. I'm gonna throw in some more Kurosawa. Um, no regrets for our youth. Also great. Uh, Post war. Movie. Yeah. War of the Worlds. I don't think that's a war movie. That's an invasion movie. Um, <laughs> war war invasion, invasion is war. <laughs> that's true. Doctor Strangelove. Very good war satire. Oh yeah. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, better. obviously. Um, dude, Pinocchio's a war movie. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. If you're gonna pull out, um, you know, fascists. Yeah. Yeah. Um and also um last one, Rome Open City. This was one of my favorite neorealist Italian Oh yeah. Films. Um because I, the the neorealist movement itself is connected to war, you know. It's, it's a response to the It's war, a yeah. response of, you know, Italians r- rolling in the the, sh- the shambles of war and they're destroyed <laughs> towns, you know, and seeing how the people are living now after the war. They worked yeah. with what they got, you know. Yeah, we were really got, okay. Uh, Non-actors, freaking stolen. All right, leave me alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, no those actors, are my no permits. <laughs> Brandon, do you got? You want to throw out some? Yeah, I mean, failsafe. I just, I love that movie so much. One of my it's favorite movies one. ever. Yeah. Uh, the Deer Hunter. Jesus, that's a dark one. Uh, Anthropoid. If you haven't seen it, very underrated war movie starring Killian Murphy. Tropic Thunder. If we're gonna. Uh, <laughs> oh, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Uh, Duck Soup is another good comedy war. Good Morning Vietnam. That's a good one. Life and Death of Colonel Blimp and Patton are really good at dissecting egos of war and how those like kind of figures can be promoted as they are. A uh, matter of Wings. life and death, too. Yeah. Wings, that first Best oh, Picture winner. Oh, man. That one's, that's an amazing movie. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the ascent, very desolate, uh, Russian film about like people getting stuck in the cold during war. Uh, the lives of others. I recently watched post war Germany sort of thing, but how war continues even when there is no fighting. And Hurt Locker. And lastly, there's this animated movie called When the Wind Blows. Uh, where there's a nuclear event that happens, mm-hmm. essentially, as a result of a war, and this old couple is just trying to cope with it. So, they are, like, already at the end of their life, but they're letting the radiation leak in, and they just try their best to live their life out and survive, and it's through paranoia and sadness, and it's just a devastating watch. Okay, two more, and then we're gonna end the episode. Um, going off animation, uh, The Wind Rises... That's yeah. a war movie, you know, about a man who designed planes for the Japanese military. Um, and then I am so shocked that you didn't bring this up as well, Chris. 
Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, yeah. It's just so obvious. Well, it's, well, and it's, yeah. Yeah, that is a war movie. Yeah. They do it, they attack. Uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah. God damn it. (laughs) I don't see it as as a father movie. I don't see it as a war movie. No, but they're preparing, and it's but yes, they are, propaganda. They are going to war. No, it's modern it, warfare. It's modern warfare. I'm going to say Avengers Endgame because they fight. Infinity Thanos. War <laughs> is the coolest war movie I've ever seen, uh, because <laughs> Thor's in it. Um, <laughs> um okay. The, the final battle of Avengers Endgame is way cooler than D-Day, guys. Let's be honest here. <laughs> All right, let's end this episode of Stack. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Let everyone. us know your war movies that you love. Let us know why you love war and killing people in the comments. Um, Milo, I'm looking to hear from you. Milo, I want I want you to write out a defense of why you love killing people in war because I know you have. No. And I'm Joey, honest. I know you don't like war movies. Joey loves war movies secretly. You think so? Justin yeah, the, I'm movies. just spreading lies in this end of the episode about Milo and Joey. Um, so if you like lying, make sure you listen to Stacked because we lie a lot. Um, we lie a lot. We lie a lot. Um, <laughs> next week. Next week. We and will... speaking of which, <laughs> next week, guys, we got a big announcement for you. Stop. Stupid. All right, we're ending this bit. There's no announcement. Go home. Yeah, All no right. announcement. All right, <laughs> everything's the same. That's All right, the bye, announcement. <laughs> the announcement is there's no announcement. Get out of my life.